Here we go. Amos chapter 8, verses 1 to 14. The Lord God showed me this, a basket of summer fruit. He asked me, what do you see, Amos? I replied, a basket of summer fruit. The Lord said to me, the end has come for my people Israel. I will no longer spare them. In that day, the temple songs will become wailing. This is the Lord's declaration. Many dead bodies thrown everywhere and silence. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and do away with the poor on the land, asking, when will the new moon be over so that we may sell grain and the Sabbath so we may make, or I'm sorry, so that we may market wheat? We can reduce the measure while increasing, increasing the price and we can cheat with dishonest scales. We can buy the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and even sell the chaff. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, I will never forget all of their deeds. Because of this, won't the land quake? All who dwell in it will mourn, and all of it will rise like the Nile. It will surge and then subside like the Nile in Egypt. And in that day, this is the declaration of the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon. I will darken the land in the daytime. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will cause everyone to wear sackcloth and every head to be shaved. I'll make that grief like mourning for an only son and its outcome like a bitter day. Look, the days are coming. This is the declaration of the Lord God when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of bread or a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and they'll roam from north to east seeking the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. In that day, the beautiful young women, the young men also, will faint from thirst. Those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, as your God lives, Dan, or as the way of Beersheba lives, they will fall, never to rise again. Let me pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the great weather outside. But most importantly, God, thank you for your word that you've given us. Lord, I pray that as we, as we look into it and we see the truth that you're showing us in this passage, I pray that this is a truth that we can be changed by, a truth that we can try to, uh, to live with, Lord, that, that would make our relationship with you better. So, Lord, be with me as I speak and everyone as they listen. We love you, God, and we thank you. We praise in your name. Amen. Please be seated. It's a long passage. Uh, it's a very, very uh, violent passage, depending on, like, I was reading, I remember the first time I read this, and I was like, God is not happy in this passage, is he? Let me tell you a quick story. I was in college when I, uh, many years ago, but I'd met my wife in college. She was a freshman. I was a junior, and we started dating. And the funny thing about when I was dating my wife in college is that I really, really, obviously, I liked dating my wife or my girlfriend at the time. I enjoyed hanging out with her, getting to know her. But I really enjoyed hanging out with my friends as well. I'm a real guy's guy. And so we would, the balance of hanging out with friends and girlfriend, I would try to combine them sometimes, and it didn't always work well, okay? So one time, Brittany comes up to me, and she says, she says, Matt, take me on a date. It's been a while. You've been working a lot. You know, you got a lot of school, all this stuff. Take me on a date. And I said, okay, I've got this great idea. In our college, they had this thing called late night, which they would open up the cafeteria at 11 p.m., and we would go to late night sometimes, and it, it's cool. You go hang out, get a free burger. It was part of your meal plan. And so... I, I, I told her, I said, let's go to late night. And she goes, okay. So we go and we head over to late night. And as we get there, unbeknownst to my girlfriend at the time, uh, 10 of my friends were there or a big group of my friends. And she goes, what's this? And I was like, well, I thought we could all like hang out together. This would be great, right? And so we sit down and my wife, do you think she was happy? Oh no, oh no, no, no. She, she looked at me and she goes, 
what is happening right now? And I was like, well, look at this. This is two birds with one stone. I'm hanging out with you, but I'm also hanging out with my friends. I was like, we're going to get married. I'll see you a lot. I will not see my friends once we leave. And so this did not go over well. She was not happy. In fact, in the last service, she said, she said, two birds with one stone, I'm the only bird that matters. And I was like, good point. So gentlemen, keep that in mind, all right? So we walk out of the cafeteria, and she looks at me, and, and she almost broke up with me this night. She told me this. She said, she said, what are you thinking? Like, what are you doing? And I was like, I don't, I don't get what you're saying. She goes, are you serious about this relationship? And I said, I am serious. And she goes, well, act like it. Like, like act like you're serious about it. And I said, okay. And then we got married, so apparently I did something right. So... My, my question for you guys is just like that story, I had to change my actions to show that I really was serious about my relationship with my now wife. The question that I want to ask you guys today is how serious are you about your relationship with God? How serious are you about your relationship with God? Because in that, in that example that I gave you, I was trying to combine my time and my love for two groups here, wasn't I? Like my love for my girlfriend and my love for my buddies and my friends, and I tried to combine them. And when you do this with God, he is not very happy. God does not like to be shared. In the same way that my girlfriend did not like to be shared, she, uh, God is the same way. We, we, when we split our affections and we split our desires for different things, God is not happy about this. And so today, um, the reason I bring that, that up is because I look at this, this story of Israel here. And, and, you know, I just read this chapter where Israel clearly, are they, on good, are they on God's good side or his bad side? What do you think? Bad side. Like so much so that he is like, uh, I, mean, I mean, listen to this verse. Let me find this verse again. There, there was a verse that I read that was just like, just crazy. Like, listen, verse 3. In the day, the temple songs, I'm sorry, in that day, the temple songs will become wailing. This is the Lord God's declaration. Listen to this line here. There will be many dead bodies thrown everywhere and silence, meaning there's going to be no noise because everybody's lying there dead. If you hear this kind of talk from, from God, at some, like that would terrify me. I'd be like, oh my goodness, he's serious. And the problem is, is that Israel Israel did not take God serious when, when it came to what God was telling them. So my main point for today is this. It, it all hinges on this word here, sin, okay? And, and my main point for today is that you must be serious about sin. You must be serious about sin. Before we go on, can somebody define to me what sin is? Anybody want to take a stab at it? Anybody? What is sin? Yes, ma'am. Great answer. Anything that you do that doesn't please God. Anybody else want to chime in? That's a, that's a pretty good definition. What do you think? Yeah, I, th- I think that's, yeah. Nobody's saying anything because you gave a great definition. All right. Yeah, anything that you do that displeases or offends God. In kids' church, we always defined it as sin is breaking God's command and it separates you from God. And, and I think a lot of times we focus on the breaking the command part, but not the separate from God part. Because sin is a big, big deal to God. It's a huge deal to God. But don't you agree that a lot of us look at sin as if it's not really that big of a deal? You struggle with something, and you're just like, eh, it's not that big a deal. But to God, sin is a big deal. In fact, um, we've been doing this series called Mirror Image. We've only got one more week. Next week is our last week. But this whole series hinges on this idea that Israel and us, Christian church in America, specifically the United States, there's a lot of similarities between us and Israel in, in terms of how we're acting. The, the United States is a mirror image of what Israel used to be. Wealthy, they got all this prosperity, they've got the great military, like things are going great for them. 
but they struggled with certain sins, right? They struggled with the sin. I, I talked about this one week, complacency. Remember, they, they kind of, they just became so comfortable that they never stepped out to worship God. They were just like, we're just going to do things the same way. Um, they, they were greedy. They were, they were needy. They were prideful. All of these different things. In fact, if you look at, uh, let me see, verse 4. Let's, let's read verse 4 to 6 one more time. In verse 4 to 6, this is, this is the sin that he's specifically talking about here. He says, Hear this, you who trample on the needy, and you do away with the poor of the land, asking, when will the new moon be over, so that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath, so that we may market wheat. We can reduce the measure while increasing the price. We can cheat with dishonest scales. We can buy the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and even sell the chaff. What I, what I found out was that a lot of these Israelites back in these days, they would, they would specifically, uh, the, the, the rich people would, would buy up the poor people, and then they would give them low wages and stuff, and they would buy their product, and they'd sell it right back to them for double the price. And this is what they're talking about when they say the dishonest scales. I mean, they, the people back in these days were greedy. Who does that sound like? Sounds like us, doesn't it, the United States? Like, we're, we're, we are pretty greedy people overall. And so while Israel struggled with all of these sins, my, my, my hope today is that you can see that Israel's not very different from us. We, we struggle with these same things. And today, I, I really want us to focus on sin. And I want us to focus on how serious it is. Because how you look at sin will, will really tell a lot about your relationship with God. So if God says to you, are you serious about this relationship with God? It hinges on how you view sin. Because if you view sin correctly, then your relationship with God will actually be pretty good. Doesn't mean you're not going to mess up. But if you view sin incorrectly, you're probably not going to have a good relationship with God, which is what we'll see from Israel. So what we're going to do today is I'm going to go over three points here. Point number one, two, and three. And we're just going to kind of break these down. Okay? So if you've got a pen or a pencil, you can write these down and uh, all the, the notes be on it. All right, here we go. So point number one. Point number one is the view. Just write down the view, okay? And the reason I'm saying the view is because the most important thing about sin is that you have to view sin accurately. You have to see it the right way. You have to see it the right way. There's a, there's a kid in our youth group uh, probably a couple of years ago who he came up to me one day and he says, Pastor Matt, I, I, I'm ready to give up. The, he was struggling with a certain sin. He says, I'm ready to give this up. And I said, oh, I was like, this is amazing. I've been praying for this. This is great. And I said, uh, well, well, let's talk. So we, we walked off into this room over here and we started talking. And, and I said, well, tell me about it. Like, what's going on? He goes, I'm ready to give it up. I, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of it, all this stuff. And, and for me, as a youth pastor, I was like, this is a great victory. This is awesome. Like, this is a guy who wants to get right with God. So we finish our talk. And then as he's walking out, I asked him this question. I said, well, uh, such and such. Why, why is it that you want to stop this sin? Just, just out of curiosity, like, what's the reason? And he goes, I'm tired of getting in trouble from my mom. And I said, okay, all right. Is that a reason to stop doing something? Yeah. Is it a great reason? No. It's not a godly reason, right? Because even non-Christians don't want to get in trouble from their mom, right? And so when he, I, I said, come and sit back down. And it, and it hit me that, that the reason we should not want to sin is because it offends God. It, it's a slap in the face to God. And when, when this kid, he didn't see sin correctly. He saw it as, oh, I'm just breaking a rule. I'm not a big deal. He didn't see it as this offense against God. And this is what I want us to do is I want us to, to really see sin correctly, see it accurately. Because um, Israel did not. 
Israel did not see it right. They didn't see sin as a big deal. And this is a problem that we get into when we, um, I talked about this in church last week, is that when we look at sin as simply like the Ten Commandments that you break a rule, not a big deal. If, if you view sin this way, then you're looking at it wrong. Sin is something far worse. In fact, last week in the main service, I, we, we called it spiritual adultery. Do you guys know what adultery is? Somebody, somebody tell me what adultery is. Anybody? There we go, Blennis. I knew you were going to raise your hand. I wanted to see how long we could sit in silence because I know you guys know the answer. What is it? Yeah, it, it, that's exactly it. Uh, a married couple, right? If, if the man leaves his wife and, and goes and, and gives all his love and attention to another wife, right? Or not even love and attention, just does stuff with other women that is not his wife, right? That's an affair. And, and, the, and the, problem with, the problem with affairs is that when you get married, all right, when you get married, you're to go... Like, you become one flesh, and as a husband, you're supposed to love your wife, and that is the woman that you love fully. The moment that you start giving your affection and love to somebody else, you are committing adultery on this person. And, and, and we need to view sin this way. This is why it's very important. This is why I'm not—I don't even like to say that sin is just a slap in the face of God. I like to say sin is when you commit adultery against God. And I want that to sink in. I want that to seem like it's a big deal, because it is. The more you sin, the more that you are giving your attention to something else other than God. And God does not like this. God does not like this at all. In fact, look at verse 1 and 2 again real quick. Verse 1 and 2, it says, The Lord showed me this. Now, in this chapter here, in chapter 8, this is a vision from Amos. Chapter 7 was three visions that that God had given to Amos. And then he gives them this weird vision in in the first verse of chapter 8. It says that the Lord showed Amos it was a basket of summer fruit. And then he asked him, he says, what do you see, Amos? And Amos responded, I see a basket of summer fruit. And the the significance of this is that back in these days, these guys would grow crops, they would grow vegetables, they would do all this stuff, and they would sell it for profit. And at some point in the year, you, you can only grow crops up to a certain point in the year. And so their agricultural calendar ended in summer. So if you went into somebody's house and you saw the summer fruit in a, in a bowl sitting on their table, you could say, oh, the, the calendar year is coming to an end. These are the last fruits that we're going to see from this year. After this, it's done until the next year. And listen to what God says here. He says, essentially, he's comparing Israel to the summer fruits. He's saying, the end has come for my people Israel. I will no longer spare them. He's saying, hey, Just like the agricultural year has come to an end, this is the last fruit you're going to see. He's like, listen, look at Israel right now. This is the last you're going to see. They're they're done. They're in trouble. I I showed this clip last night uh, where, have you guys ever seen Independence Day? You ever seen the movie Independence, the old one with Will Smith in 1996? When this movie came out, it it was an amazing movie because cities blowing up and, and, and stuff like this was not, it was, it was just not done in movies yet. So in this movie, essentially these big spaceships come into Earth and they land over major cities all over the world, right? New York City, Moscow, like all these places. And, and they just sit there for like a couple of days and everybody's like, what is this ship going to do? Like it blots out the sun, it's so big. And then at some point, the ship opens up and they go, oh, they're going to make contact with us. This is amazing. We come in peace. And do you guys know what happens? they destroyed everyone, right? The, this big laser came down and it just blew up the whole cities and people, millions of people died. And I remember, I remember reading this passage the other day and thinking of that movie Independence Day where I was like, man, like God clearly is not happy with these people. 
Remember, there's going to be dead bodies everywhere. Essentially, he says, I'm going to destroy them. And why does he do it? It's because they don't have an accurate view of sin. Sin has taken over their lives. They did not take it seriously. So that's point number one. And ask yourself that question. How do you view sin? Like, do you view it as serious as it is? If you don't, I want to encourage you. See it as a big deal. Sin is kind of a big deal, okay? Point number two, the problem. Let's talk about the problem here, all right? The problem. I, I have two, I have four kids, and, and I was telling the kids in the last service that one of my favorite things that my wife does when she disciplines our kids is they'll get in trouble. And, and who in here has a brother or sister? Anybody have a brother or sister? Okay, cool. Um, who in here has seven brothers and sisters? Anybody? Oh, great. Brielle. Okay, good. All right. Just kidding. She's one of eight, which is amazing. So anyways, um, my kids, whenever they fight, you know how like when a parent, you're fighting with your sibling and they go, okay, apologize to your brother or your sister. And, and are the apologies ever heartfelt? No, never, right? This happened to me when I was a kid. Apologize to your sister. I'm like, sorry, Sarah. It'll never happen again. And then we do this with my daughter, Mora. I'll be like, Mora, apologize to your brother. And she's like, sorry, can I go now? And we're like, no, you're missing the point, right? You got to apologize. The thing was, they would apologize and apologize, but it didn't mean anything. And so my wife, she would send uh, Jack and Mora, whenever they would get in a fight, she would send them to sit on the stairs with each other, holding hands for 10 minutes. And, and, they, and it works great. Like they, It's hard to hate somebody that you're holding hands with for 10 minutes. And then eventually they'd get up and they'd be like, let's go to the playroom. And then they would do their thing. But the reason I tell this story is that my kids, like we would, we would say, hey, apologize, apologize. They would apologize. And then, but you could tell it wasn't heartfelt. When you look at Israel back in, the, in, in this portion of time, Israel did a lot of things right from the outside. They went to church, they sacrificed on the, at the temple. They gave money to the temple. They did all of these things, right? Um, they sang songs. They, they, assumingly, they worshiped God. However, God looked down, and here's what the problem is, is they would repent of their sins. They would do this at church, but they didn't mean it. Just like my kids, right? They would say, I'm sorry, can I go now? These guys, they would go. They'd go through the motions every week, and they would apologize. And then God would say, and he would look at him and say, you guys don't mean this. You don't mean what you're saying. Repentance leads to a change in your actions. If you truly are sorry for something that, you, that you've done against God, you're going to want to stop doing it. If you have no desire to stop sinning against God, then you don't feel sorry for that sin. That's just the reality of it. For instance, I've had, I've had kids come in, like there are certain kids in a, in a church service who they will talk every week during my message, and it drives me crazy because I'm ADD, Right? Um, and so, so I will go up to these kids, and I'll just be like, hey, can we talk? I'm like, dude, you talk during my message again. And they go, oh, dude, I'm so sorry. It won't happen again. I said, okay, thank you. And then the next week will happen, and I say, you talked again. He goes, I'm so sorry. It'll never happen again. And this happens every week. And it, it gets to a point where do I believe them anymore? No, I don't believe them. I'm like, you can say sorry all you want. But the fact that you're still doing it is the problem because it shows that you don't have a repentant heart. And this is exactly the case with Israel. These guys, they would sin. They would go to church, the temple. They would sing praises. They would do all this stuff. They'd glorify God, yet they would continue to do that action again the very next day probably, maybe even the same day. And God at this point is just like, look, you can say that you're sorry. You can ask for forgiveness, but I know you don't really mean it. If you meant it, you would stop doing what you're doing or you would at least try. That's the problem. That's the problem. And don't you, don't, we agree that a lot of us struggle with this. Growing up, man, I struggled with certain sins that I would, I would repent to God, and then I would just go back to doing them, right? And I'm like, man, I'm, am I that sorry? 
And, and hear me now. Hear me. I, I want you to know this, that we will continue to sin. We're going to mess up, okay? I'm not saying that. If you are truly repentant, God will forgive you. In fact, you guys remember the story of David, right? David sinned over and over again. David, and not only did he sin, he did some pretty jacked up stuff, right? Remember, he cheated. Uh, he had an affair with this one lady, then had that lady's husband killed. I mean, which is pretty messed up, isn't it? Yet, he repented to God, and God saw his heart. He says, listen, I can tell that you truly are repentant. So the problem is, is when you don't have a repentant heart. So guys, view sin correctly, and then, and then see if you have the same problem as Israel, you know? It's easy to come to church and think that coming to church and singing worship and doing stuff like that is, is, is what it takes. That, that's not what it is. It takes true repentance, and that repentance should lead to a change in your actions, okay? And then here's the last point. So we've got the first one is the view. How do you view sin? The second one is the problem of unrepentant sin. And then here's the last part, point number three, the worst part. Probably not the best title for a point, but uh, I was reading this passage, and let's look at verse 11. Verse 11 to me is one of the most depressing verses in all of Scripture. Here it is. Look, the days are coming. This is the declaration of the Lord God, where I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of bread, or a thirst for water. Somebody tell me what a famine is real quick. What's a famine? What is it? Yes, ma'am. Correct, yeah. Uh, when, when this happened a lot over, like, you remember in Egypt, this happened with uh, all the guys in Egypt where they didn't have any food or water, so they would go to Egypt to beg for food or water. A famine is simply where there's no food or there's no water. And, and God is telling Amos here, he says, say this to them, I'm going to send a famine through the land. But here's what the famine is not going to be. It's not going to be a famine of food or water. Here's what the famine is. All right? It says, um, verse 12, or oh, I'm sorry, the end of verse 11, not a famine of bread or a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Verse 12, people were staggered. They're going to stagger from sea to sea. They're going to roam from north to east, seeking the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. That is very, very depressing. When you talk about the worst thing that God can do to a person, it's removing himself from you. That is the worst. I was telling the kids in the last service, has anybody here, you ever thought about what hell would be like? Uh, there, there's a lot of descriptions as to what hell would be like. Some people think hell is just a fiery place that you go to where little demons poke you for all of eternity, right? So if you never choose God, you go to hell. Uh, a very literal definition of hell is literally the absence of God. So I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what the temperature is going to be like there. I don't know what it will be like. But what I do know is that God will not be there. And that right there is the most depressing thing ever. Because right now, you realize God is here, right? He's amongst us. God blesses us often. He, we see God's grace. Even if we are sinning against God, we still get to experience God's grace. God's always going to be there with arms wide open. However, when you're in hell, if it, people in hell never get the experience of turning back to God because God is not there. And when I read this passage, when I see it where he says, he says, the famine is not going to be food or water. It's going to be me. Like, it's going to be me. I'm going to remove myself from you. I've seen it before where a husband and a wife, like if, if the husband cheats on the wife, the wife finds out about it and she looks at the husband. She goes, look, at the, you cheated on me? Are you kidding? Okay, that's what you want. You know what? Take it. Take her. That, you can have her. I'm out of here. And she leaves. And it's the exact same way with God. At some point, guys, sin can, you can allow sin to be your main focus in life. And if you continually live a life where you are just feeding sin and just allowing sin to take over your life, God could remove himself from you. God might say, you know what? You know what? We were supposed to have a relationship, yet you clearly are in love with this sin so much. Have at it. 
and then he will remove himself from you. And that is a terrifying, sad, sad thing. I've seen people who I saw so much potential in, but they let sin just ravish them. And, and, and you could see that God has removed himself. He's just like, okay, you want it? That's fine. Let me end with this illustration. There's, uh, I heard this the other day, actually, that it's good. It, it, how, if you look at sin, right, like a temptation in your life, as, as this little creature that's kind of nipping at your ankles, trying to get you to, to partake in this sin, okay? We have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we can overcome any sin that comes our way with the Holy Spirit. However, a lot of us, a lot of, can you close those doors for me real quick if you don't mind, Alex? Thank you. So a lot of us will, will look at this sin that's this little animal that's nipping at our, at our, our ankles, right? And we have control over it, right? We could turn and we could just kick it away, you know, we can do whatever we want. However, the problem is when you allow yourself to be tempted by sin over and over again, what you're doing to this little creature, this creature of sin, is you're feeding it. And you're saying, it's okay, lust. It's okay, pride. Here, eat this, eat this. And this little sin that's just nipping at your ankles that has no power over you, you fed it, you turn around, and now it's grown into this big, monstrous thing. And the sin can now has so much power over you. Sin only has power over you if you allow it to. With the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you can take power over it. And, and so what I want to encourage you guys to do is be careful what you let into your minds. Be careful what you watch. Be careful what you see. Be careful the influence of your friends around you that you're letting influence your lives. Because people like that and things like that can, can really just enable sin to grow and grow in your life. And you can't get to a point where sin will take you over. So guys... In, in, in review here, the main point, ready? You got to be serious about sin. You have to see sin for what it is. Don't see it as this little, just this little thing that's not that big of a deal. Guys, sin is a huge deal. If you want to get close to God, it's hard to get close to God if there is sin in between you and him. Remove the sin, repent, truly repent, and then have a relationship with Christ, okay? Let me pray for you guys and then we'll, uh, we'll dismiss into groups. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for everybody that's here. Lord, sin is a, it's obviously a topic that's not always the best to talk about. It's definitely not the most fun because we're talking about struggles that we have and we're talking about things that are hindering our relationship with you. And Lord, my prayer today is that you can speak to every one of these kids, all of the leaders in here, Lord, and you can just help us realize the severity of sin, that we can look at sin as, 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 for, as what it truly is, God, is, is an offense against you, that when we sin, we essentially are committing spiritual adultery. Lord, I pray that we can see this example of Israel in the book of Amos, Israel and Judah, and that we can just say, you know what? I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be a, a person who, who goes through the motions, who asks repentance, but doesn't truly mean it. So Lord, I pray that you can soften these kids' hearts. I pray that if there's a sin that they're struggling with, Lord, help them to realize that it is an offense against you. Help them to realize that, that life is about growing closer to you. And whenever we sin, Lord, we're just putting distance in between us. God, I'm thankful for everybody here. And Lord, I just pray for the rest of our weekend. We love you so much and we pray this in your name. Amen.